everyone and welcome back to another episode of Haunted History Chronicles. Tonight we've already been visited by the ghost of Christmas past. Next, we're going to be visited by the ghost of Christmas present. Charles Dickens' vision of the ghost of Christmas present is a huge and vibrant character who appears as the bell once again strikes one. It appears in Scrooge's room surrounded by a feast. The generous nature of this ghost is reflected in the abundant vision of food. Scrooge himself is more humble in the presence of this second spirit, and is willing to learn any lessons the ghost will show. It shows Scrooge visions of the world on Christmas Day, including heartwarming scenes of celebration at the homes of Bob Cratchit and Scrooge's nephew Fred. Before it leaves Scrooge, the ghost shows him two yellow meagre children, who are hiding under its cloak. These are called ignorance and want, and are a warning to Scrooge to change his ways. Charles Dickens often weaved into his stories the theme of grinding poverty, menacing characters, injustice and punishment. These were all live issues at the time Dickens was writing the novel, especially with the introduction of the 1834 New Poor Law, an act which for many liberal Victorians appear to criminalise the poor. Dickens was a vigorous critic of the new poor law, and he relentlessly lampooned the harsh utilitarian ethics behind it. The belief that the workhouse would act as a deterrent so fewer people would claim poor relief, and thereby the poor rate would reach its correct level. In Victorian society the fear of poverty and destitution was an ever-present threat for most working people. In this episode, as we explore the ghost of Christmas present, I'll be sharing the haunting histories of life of the poor in Victorian England. Charles Dickens revisited the workhouse debate often in his stories and in journals. In the 1850s, making several investigations into the conditions of the poor for his journal, Household Words, he would write about what he witnessed and the belief that it confirmed to him the inadequacy of the workhouse system, which at worst, was perpetuating misery, poverty, starvation, and ultimately death. In A Walk in the Workhouse, he described the scenes in a Marleybourne workhouse. He wrote, In a room opening from a squalid yard, where a number of listless women were lounging to and fro, trying to get warm in the ineffectual sunshine of the tardy May morning. In the itch ward, not to compromise the truth, a woman such as Hogarth is often drawn, was hurriedly getting on her gown before a dusty fire. She was the nurse or wardswoman of that insalubrious department, herself a pauper, flabby, raw-boned, untidy. But on being spoken about the patients whom she had in charge, sobbing most bitterly, wringing her hands. Oh, the dropped child was dead. Oh, the child that was found in the street and she'd brought up ever since, had died an hour ago, and see where the little creature lay beneath this cloth. He was describing an abandoned child, who had died shortly after being brought into the workhouse. Dickens likened another section of the workhouse to a prison, commenting that the meagre rations for inmates had created a primitive and bestial youth who had little to offer civilised society. He likened them to dispirited wolves or hyenas, would pounce at their food when it was served out, much as those animals did. Life inside a workhouse was very difficult. 
For most of the time, a regime of strict discipline was superintended by the master and mistress of the workhouse. Inmates were separated into different wards, separated by sex, age, infirmity, or if they were able. Children were schooled. Work was given to the able-bodied. Plain, frugal but sufficient food was allotted. A ban on tobacco and spirits was seen. There were separate wards for the sick. The enforcement of cleanliness, order and ventilation was important, as was the wearing of a workhouse uniform. Inmates were not allowed to leave the workhouse without permission. Breaking house rules usually brought swift punishment. On one occasion, four women, including Mary Stacy and Elizabeth Walker, returned late from church leave. They'd obviously been in a beer house, as Elizabeth Walker was deemed intoxicated, for which she was not allowed to leave the premises for four months. It seems Mary Stacy was a consistent offender. Stacy and another woman, Mary Ryan, broke leave rules by again staying out all night, following afternoon leave granted on the occasion of Queen Victoria's wedding. Both were sentenced to pick ten pounds of oakum per day for one month and had their meal allowance stopped. Mary Stacy did eventually leave the workhouse three months later to go into domestic service. These institutions intended to provide work and shelter for poverty-stricken people who had no means to support themselves. They had in fact though become a prison system, detaining the most vulnerable in society. They became synonymous with the Victorian era, known for its terrible conditions, forced child labour, long hours, malnutrition, beatings and neglect. The Andover workhouse scandal of the 1840s exposed serious defects within the administration and began with the revelation in August of 1845 that inmates were driven by hunger to eat the marrow and gristle from often putrid animal bones. A common task in the workhouse and source of workhouse income was the grinding of animal bones which could be sold for things like livestock feed. This was a back-breaking task requiring people in pairs to lift a heavy and long metal battering ram, relentlessly up and down, from sun up to sun down, to grind the bones to dust. Fights would often break out between workers over the meagre, raw extra sustenance they could get from those putrid bones. So malnourished were they. It was discovered during the investigation process that inmates were receiving less than was entitled the extra funds feathering the pocket of the master of the workhouse. Additional rations for the sick were also not being given out. Young girls were being abused and molested. Documents were being falsified to cut corners and costs. Births, for example, were not often registered. It meant that baptisms, which were costly, did not have to take place, and that babies, infants and children that later died would be recorded as stillbirths to save having to pay for burials. Once known as Leeds Old Workhouse, the Thackeray Medical Museum in West Yorkshire was once one of these very institutions. It was built in 1858 to accommodate 784 paupers. It's said to be home to many ghosts that haunt this former mental hospital and workhouse, and with such a history it's not surprising. Ghostly figures have been seen walking the corridors, 
People have experienced being grabbed and touched by unseen hands in many areas within the location. People frequently experience unexplained temperature drops and hear disembodied whimpering sounds. Shadow figures often make themselves known during all times of the night and day. Ripon Workhouse, also in Yorkshire, with many original areas still visible today, gives a real insight into what life for workhouse inhabitants was like. It's a location that provides an overwhelming sense of being watched and feeling as if you're being followed. It's a place where unexplained knocks and bangs are often heard, as well as the mysterious opening and closing of doors seen. A gentleman, known as Stan, is often seen in the nurse's room. With up to 750 workhouses across England, Scotland and Wales, many of these locations have stories that lurk in the shadows to share. Quarry Bank Mill and Estate is the oldest commercial working mill to be spinning and weaving cotton currently operating in Britain. It's also home to Europe's most powerful working water wheel and two steam-powered engines. The estate consists of the factory village of Style, former home of mill workers and their families, together with areas of riverside, farmland and woodland in the valley of the River Bolin. The apprentice house at Quarry Bank was where pauper children were boarded while they were indentured to the mill. The house was built in 1790 and was home to approximately 90 children at any one time until 1847. Different superintendents ran the establishment throughout that period, notably the Shawcrossers and after them the Timperleys. The household also employed skivvies, female servants, to cook and clean. The apprentice house appears to have some resident ghosts all of them adult women. The attics of the apprentice house seem to be particularly prone to ghostly encounters. Many people remark on a cold spot as they walk down the stairs from the end attic into the medieval room in the boys' dormitory. When workmen were renovating the house in the 1980s, they claimed to have seen the image of a woman in the end attic while working in the medical room. On another occasion, a staff member was walking around the house locking up accompanied by her dog. When they reached the stairs leading to the attics, the dog refused to go further and its hackles went up. The dog would not enter the house at all after this experience. Visitors with psychic abilities have strong reactions to the attics. One visitor brought a pendulum on their visit, which stayed perfectly still until the party reached the end attic, where it began to move violently. Others claimed to have seen an apparition of a woman in the attic once directly behind a house interpreter. One staff member who was totally sceptical about the paranormal swears that as she was closing the doors at dusk, she felt a presence behind her in the end attic. In the schoolroom, people have sensed something near the fireplace and had the sensation that they were being watched. One visitor refused point blank to enter the schoolroom, claiming that the house had an evil presence. The current custodian and his family live in the cottage attached to the house. Two of their children say that when they were young, they would see a lady in old clothes standing at the bottom of their beds. At the mill itself, staff have witnessed the apparition of a woman roaming the top floors. Although the records of fatalities and deadly accidents in the mill have been consulted, none of them appear to have involved women, so it's not known who this female figure may be or why she haunts the site. 
Charles Dickens, through his spectral visit of the ghost of Christmas present, wanted to highlight the necessity of change, or else we all suffer the consequences. Maybe this is a time we look within our own communities at some of the hardship that may exist within the shadows. Extend offers of help and support. We all have the ability to uplift others and help those most in need. Donations of clothing and food, a kind smile. We can all help spread Christmas cheer this year. Thank you for listening. In the third and final instalment, you'll be visited by the ghosts of the future with a most intriguing haunting mystery to ponder. like this podcast then there are a number of things that you can do come along and follow haunted history chronicles on facebook twitter and instagram the links are below in the description to this podcast share news of the podcast with friends family who may be interested you can also come along and join us on our new website which has a plethora of other features including information on our episodes guests and a blog which includes guest writers You can support the podcast further by leaving us a review or taking a look at our Patreon page and in the process gain access to some extra goodies. Your support and encouragement is always invaluable. Thank you so very much, everyone. (laughs) 